Today's episode of The Thriller Zone with David Temple is sponsored by The Story Factory and the visionary genre-bending debut novel Grand Theft AI by James Cox. The Matrix meets Blade Runner. Grand Theft AI is available now for pre-order from your favorite bookseller. On the next episode of The Thriller Zone, we welcome special guest Adam Hamdy and his book, The Other Side of Night. If you like thrillers that will bend your imagination, you'll love this new thriller from international sensation Adam Hamdy. The Thriller Zone begins now. Hello and welcome to The Thriller Zone. I'm your host, David Temple. That's right, it's me, once again, right in your ear to share with you some of the best thriller writers in the world. And today, it is no different. This gentleman was on my show, show number five, just over a year ago, July, mid-July. And we had a blast. He is one of the kindest, most down-to-earth guys you'll ever meet, and a mad talent. He usually works in a particular genre of thriller, a little flavor of thriller, but he has stepped off the beaten path and done something very, very unique in a powerful way. Adam Hamdy is my guest, and the book is The Other Side of Night. All right, I'm babbling. Let's get to it. It has been so long since we spoke. How in the world are you? I'm very well, David, and uh, it's lovely to be back with you. I enjoyed our conversation, uh, previous conversation, and I'm really looking forward to this one. You know, I was working out in the gym this morning about five o'clock. I went to hit the weights and I said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to replay Adam's show from July 16th of last year. We were deep in the pandemic. We were uh, uh, all chasing our tails, trying to figure out how to live a creative life in that somber solitude. And I ran across the show and I I learned a couple of things. First of all, I, I was a babbling idiot, and I need to spend more time listening to great authors like yourself. <laughs> <laughs> That's not true at all. That's absolutely not true. I really enjoyed our conversation. I, I had a lot of fun, and, and I think you're an amazing host. Well, you're very kind. I do want to take this second to say thank you to Eric Bishop, who introduced me to you. We have become uh, become avid fans of one another. It, he's turned me on to all your work. Of course, we talked about your books then. We're going to be talking about The Other Side of Night, which is in a brilliant book. That's all I'm going to say right now. So thank you to him. And um, if you would mind, can, can we just go back uh, a year and a couple of months and revisit something you said that has hung in my mind like a well-tailored suit? Very happy. Let's uh, let's have a look. <laughs> I think if you talk to people who've written a number of books, they'll all tell you the same thing. You know, you don't. You're always learning, so you'll learn throughout. It's one of those, and that's what makes it so wonderful because it's always something new. You know, you're always learning, um, but you don't find your voice for a while, right? Um, and actually, once you find your voice, <laughs> the next trick is to lose your voice. It's to actually start losing your voice to the world and the characters and the tone of the book that you're trying to write. Wow. Right. <laughs> that guy is talking a lot of sense. I don't know who he is, but he's talking a lot of sense. I love that man. He has changed my life. 
<laughs> and as you can see, he just gets more handsome with age. Oh, I'm not sure about that. <laughs> he looked so fresh. That was kind of, you know, early, midway in the pandemic. You know, we've we've had the hard times now. So, <laughs> but yeah, that's some wisdom there. <laughs> well, you know what I'd love to do? Because it was so profound and it's hung with me, Adam, for so long about because as writers, and I'm not in the league of you, but I'm trying to get there, is that we 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 try to find that voice, which I think I'm just now 10 years in finding. And we're like, oh, yeah, yeah, got the voice. And then you realize, according to you, and it's brilliant, uh, let's lose that voice, stretch ourselves, lift ourselves to a new place, and dig deeper. Can you expand on that for me? Because that, I, I just want to hear more about that. I, I, I love the Zoom. I love the Zoom. <laughs> <laughs> it's it gets like shining really... the spotlight on a perp, you know. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, those kind of interviews are dangerous. And it was one of those interviews with the, I watched um, with David Bowie and he was saying, um, you know, if you want to produce your best work, step outside of your comfort zone, push yourself. And so there are a lot of authors out there that are extremely successful with their voice and they find it and they kind of stick with it and um, run with it. Um, but I think that, you know, effectively what you're trying to do is you're trying to, when, you, when you're an author, you're trying to find a truth um, in a, of, of a particular work. And it's weird to talk about that with fiction, but I think all stories have a truth. Um, and you're, you're trying to, um, once you've come up with your idea, you're trying to articulate it in the best possible way. You're trying to bring it to life in the best possible way. And, Often that will involve a voice that isn't yours, a tone that isn't yours. Um, and it's about finding what works best with the characters that you're portraying and the world that they're inhabiting. And I'm, I'm, I, I'd forgotten about that um, particular uh, uh, section of the interview, but I'm actually doing it right now with the, the book that I'm editing at the moment. It's very different to the other side of night, but it's it's the same kind of ethos of trying to step outside my comfort comfort zone, pushing boundaries. And actually, the the book, the other side of night's a very kind of intricately constructed book with lots of different points of view. This book is, um, it, it's written as like a memoir, so it's a single point of view, and um, it does exactly that. I've I've tried as much as possible to lose my voice. And I'm thinking about it. Well, how would this guy say this particular phrase? How would he write this? How would he construct this sentence? And if it feels too much like me, I, I strike a line through it. I'm trying to not be me. It's, it's, it's a character piece. So it's, it's a bit like performance. It's a bit like acting. Have you ever done any acting by the way? <laughs> yes. <laughs> you say that as though it was a terrible experience. Yes, I was, uh, I acted very young, actually. I was, um, oh, God, this is going <laughs> to haunt me. <laughs> I was uh, Igor in the Dracula Spectacular when I was in high school, which is a, he's like a kind of Quasimodo henchman figure to Dracula, um, <laughs> the comic relief. And so that was musical theatre, 
And so I had to sing and act. Um, and, you know, I, I didn't, I hadn't suffered enough. So I then went and joined Questors in West London in Ealing um, and joined their adult theatre company when I was 13 or 14. I was quite young. Um, and I got to act in a Chekhov piece and, you know, did some, yeah, it, yeah. I've acted. That's enough. <laughs> <laughs> you, you make that sound so, so exciting. <laughs> yeah, I haven't. I, I, I notice I did not say I have acted well. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Well, the reason I asked that, be, because it was a perfect insert, was the fact that, you know, to your point about writing for characters, isn't it interesting? And especially in this book, if you if you were writing uh, the story as you were, and then all of a sudden you diverted into, let's say, for instance, a, a courtroom appearance, and you uh, had one of the uh, one of the attorneys uh, speaking, and all of a sudden it started sounding exactly like you, you the reader would sense that false sense of reality, wouldn't they? They wouldn't even maybe even know what they were doing or, or or hearing or receiving but they go oh that sounds kind of like the it's like the same guys talking right yeah 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 i mean i think that's really important with with you know whatever you're writing is to um is to make your dialogue sound convincing make your characters sound different so that not everyone's speaking in the same manner and using the same um you know kind of uh speech mannerisms of speech and um but i think with the other side of night for example i've i tried not only to kind of make sure everyone sounded authentic um i also tried to present the story in a way that would enhance the reader experience so in the other side of night it, it, you know it has court transcripts in there so i've presented it as you would read a historical transcript of a of a court case and uh, for that actually i went to my uh, friend Tony Kent, who is an author and a barrister, um, writes some brilliant sort of legal political thrillers, and he he's a practicing criminal barrister. And I just said, you know, how would you say this in a courtroom? What would be the procedure here? Um, and he was so helpful, giving me some of the formal um, phrases that, and that makes sure that it doesn't sound like you, because I would never speak in the manner in which these polite barristers talk. And is it much like what we see on television? Uh, and do they still wear the, and if, if this is a stupid question, just the same little uh, wig hats, what are those? The wigs, yeah. Yeah, yeah. they, they still, still wear that? the horse hair. Yeah, they still wear the horse hair wigs. Not in all courts. Um, not in all courts, but certainly in the higher courts. Um, horse hair wigs and the gowns and everything. And they have a very, um, uh, so I, I'm, I'm, I'll actually, because I found this absolutely fascinating. So, um, when they're getting a bit sort of, uh, they're, they're asking sort of antsy questions. I'm just going to see, uh, if I can find it while you're looking, I'm going to tell you, I think I'm going to bring those back as a fashion statement. I'm going to start wearing them. Oh, wow. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine me walking imagine. down San Diego yeah. beach? Hey, okay. what's happening with my board shorts? <laughs> so, the, you know, in, in American TV and courtroom dramas, they'll say, objection, and the yes. judge will say, oh, overruled, or whatever. 
I, I said to, you know, Tony Ken, I said, you know, do they do that? I mean, I've got a law degree and I've sat in court, but I can't remember, you know, how they do things. In British courts, they say, my Lord, it is with great reluctance that I find myself on my feet again. In other words, I'm very reluctant to have to stand up to criticize my esteemed colleague, but I am standing. Okay. Yeah. Um, and the judge will say something like, I tend to agree. Please answer the question. Okay. So it's, it's just so, it's all about status. It's all about maintaining the fiction that these are very, very special people representing you in court or against you in court. And you have to be very polite about their, so the idea of standing up and saying, objection, this guy's an asshole or whatever it is, <laughs> never going to happen. It really is theater, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> I've never thought about it that way before. Yeah, very much. It's real. You know, you're, you're trying to maintain the deception. And they have this weird thing where you have in a British court, you have rows. And um, if you're a QC, which is a Q Queen's Council, now a King's Council, obviously, um, yeah you will be able to occupy the first row in the court um, when, you know, and, and, and if you're a junior barrister and junior barristers can be people in their fifties or sixties, you can only go to a second row. So if a junior barrister is appearing across a, a, a against a, a senior, a QC, they have to step back one row and be more distant from the judge. And I've looked into this and there are cases where, it's up to the QC whether they allow the junior barrister to be in the front row. And so they have to ask for permission from their opponent and say, would you mind if I uh, come up a row? And often the QCs will say no. You know, they will say no. It's, it's, it's like, what's the big deal? They just want to stand equal to you. They're presenting the case. They just happen not to be a QC and have that formal, uh, you know, uh, badge. No, they'll say no. So it's a very, very bizarre, bizarre legal system. It, but you know, I, I said uh, a second ago about, uh, I did not realize it was so much theater. And then I'm flashing back to all the courtroom dramas that I've watched my whole life. And I thought, wait, no, 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 no. Dude, don't talk out of both sides of your mouth because you realize that not only is it fictional television, but part of the uh part of the act part of the uh, the the uh, situation is to pontificate broadly you know as i think it's distraction it's part distraction it's intimidation it's i'm going to take a side road real quick i took i watched a show recently and um it was uh oh it was uh, where the crawdads sing oh yeah Oh my God. Brilliant. By the way, you've seen it. Not yet. No. Oh, I don't. There's a courtroom scene. And I said to my wife, I said, Tammy, look at that. That's, that's the personification of courtroom drama. This guy doesn't really have a leg to stand on. And he's, burp, 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 burp. and I'm like, <laughs> he's not really saying anything. Whereas this other character comes in now, folks, I'm just going to tell you straight up. And he does his thing. <laughs> Batman is just trying to get you to see it one way. That's really the other. 
reason I do all that is because it it reminds me of this book. And I found myself being pulled in in these courtroom scenes, I guess, because I grew up watching what Perry Mason was the, one of the very first ones I got addicted to. And uh, I mean, addicted black and white when I was a kid. And I was like, man, that that's great theater. So, yeah, I'm thank you for letting me take that little side road. Oh, you're very welcome. But I think this is the trouble. This is one of the dangers of being an author. You know, you'll start looking into something because you want to try and give your work authenticity and you end up just thinking, oh my God, this is the most fascinating thing I've ever, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a student. I've always a student at heart. I love learning about the world. I love hearing people's stories. And so it's very dangerous in this career, so this profession because you can literally just go down a rabbit hole and spend a week learning all about, you know, how they make the wigs for, uh, you know, for British courts and uh, just all sorts of bizarre things. So um, and particularly with a book like this that touches so many areas of life, it's, it's dangerous. Yeah. I want to move in and out of this story because I don't want to spend all the time on it only because there's so many things about you I want to talk about. So I'm going to swing back around to that very point. I have a very, uh, I feel like it's a pretty good point to make. But last we spoke, I believe, yeah, when we spoke in July, you were still, you hadn't moved to, I'm not going to be able to pronounce the place. Mauritius. Mauritius. Thank you. Cue on the floor. Um, yeah, it's it reminds you a little bit of like downtown Detroit, right? I mean, it's it's kind of <laughs> dirty, and I mean, it's just like buildings, and it's or or is it more like suburbia? I mean, it's ugh, it's pretty bad, isn't it? Mauritius, yeah, it's terrible. What? Don't come to Mauritius. Yeah, really, don't come. It's like it's awful. It's so grunge. Um, I I have spent more time watching you. I think uh, it's got to be Instagram. That's, dude. I spend way too much time stalking you on Instagram. So right. I, I, right. I don't have to apologize because you don't know. Okay. It. Yeah. No problem. Yeah. Go ahead. I, I'm doing like um, this, honey. Look what he's doing now. Oh my! God. <laughs> she, she looks at me. You really do have to get a life, son. Uh, <laughs> yeah. No. It's um. We decided sort of after the last few years to give ourselves and the children a bit of an adventure. So we looked around the world and we had certain criteria. We wanted great weather. We wanted beaches um, and obviously the kids to be able to go to good schools. Um, and Mauritius just ticked all the boxes. So we live, you know, it's a lovely, it's a tropical island um, in the Indian Ocean. It's part of Africa. The official language is English. Everyone speaks Creole and French. Uh, it's a mishmash of every culture you can imagine. It's the nexus point between Asia, Europe and Africa. So there's just everybody and everything here. Um, and yeah, we love it. It's really lovely. What a great education for the children. Yeah. Yeah. No, it, it's, um, that's exactly what we wanted. We wanted them to have an adventure and to experience something different. You know, they were kind of locked away for a while and, and then, you know, when they went back to school, it was quite stressful and everything. So we wanted them to have, uh, expand their horizons and have something really different. So, you know, they've learned how to sail here and horse ride and just, yeah, it's just, it's wonderful. How often, how many times in a week do you think, Oh, if I could go back to the cramped row houses and pollution and city noise. Yeah. <laughs> um, we were lucky cause we, you know, we lived in a lovely place anyway, but um, yeah. Yeah. 
this is something different. And, uh, you know, don't get me wrong. It's like well within the reaches of um, most people. It's it's just kind of having the courage to to take the leap. But the cost of living here is about 60% lower than the UK. Um, yeah. It, I mean, it's, it's the richest country in Africa, but that's still the richest country in Africa. It's not up with Europe or the US or anything like that. Yeah. So the cost of living is really low and um education's good, healthcare's good. It's 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 lovely. I I wasn't expecting to like it as much as I do. I was expecting it to be a bit more grungy and a bit more an uh, of an adventure, but um it's just phenomenal. Um, and I you know, I probably shouldn't say that actually cuz it's really <laughs> not you know, it's nicely populated and there's not too yeah. many people so yeah, actually, scrub all of that. It's it's horrible here. I really hate it, <laughs> Adam. This is just like a conversation I had with Connor Sullivan recently, who's going to air uh, next Monday, and, <laughs> and he's talking about Montana. And I've been investigating Montana for whatever reasons recently, and he's like, "It's horrible here, dude." No, seriously, it's it's cold all the time. It's it's not as beautiful as you think. And I'm and, and he's pulling me, and I'm like, really? He goes, yeah. The, the pollution's increasing because of the traffic, and it's horrible. And I'm like, honey, scratch that trip. And he's like, are you kidding me? He's like, are you kidding me? It's paradise. Yeah, Montana is. Uh, I've not been to Montana, but it's. I know people there, and it's supposed to be amazing. And there's something like three hundred thousand people, or some ridiculous. Yeah, there's not many yeah. people. So, all right. Um, I think it's a good time to uh, do one of two things. Um, and if you're not prepared for the first one, just let me know. But we do this a new feature called "Show Us Your Writing Space." Is your camera movable at all, or is you are yeah. you attached? Okay. Yeah. Can you just spin me around and just show us your writing space? Uh. <laughs> so yeah. Oops. Oop, I lost your microphone. Oh, oh no. Nope. I bet it did a little disconnect. That's what I get for branching out. You can still hear me, right? Hmm. Testing one, two, three. This is cool. I can cut all this shit out. Don't worry about it. Plus, I'm the one that effed it up first. So, <laughs> you went to move something and there was a click, almost like. Uh, How's that? There you go. Perfect. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Great. So, I'm going to have to carry the mic with me. Oh. Like a. Uh, like a so, yeah, I'm like gonna a. You, I'm going to show you my writing space. Um. At, yeah. So. It's nighttime here. Uh -huh. um, I can switch on the garden lights, but I'm not going to because that would involve a big journey. Um, so this here is my favorite chair. And I write here, uh, looking out into the garden, um, which is just here. It's, it's black at the moment. It's dark. I'll imagine what beauty it yeah. is. And in here is a messy little office that I have. And that's my desk and chair there. And that's where oh, I do my formal sort of writing. But actually, at the moment, I'm spending about half the day at the beach. Uh, sorry, half the week at the beach. Uh -huh. And I try and write at the beach 
because I actually nice. get loads done. Why do you suppose that is? Uh, there's no distractions. So I write by hand. And so I'm not looking at emails and I'm not um, looking at social media. And I put my headphones on and uh, uh, listen to music and just write and look at the ocean. All right. First of all, thank you for doing that because uh, I put you on the spot. You did it brilliantly. It's gorgeous. I'm so jealous. Thank you. You're very welcome. Uh, secondly, I did not quite see the full T-shirt, so I now have to see. Is that pink sequins there? Pink sequins, uh, rose. It's it's my favorite T-shirt, and it's a bit like in Seinfeld when Golden Boy is dying. He has his favorite T-shirt. This T-shirt is running to the end of its life, so it has pink T-shirt, uh, pink sequins, and then a skull skeleton hand uh -huh. holding the roses for you. But it is dying. This is my favorite T-shirt, and I'm wearing it to extinction. Good. What is it about us guys? We find something that we love to wear. My my wife laughs at me all the time. She goes, you know, I dropped several hundred dollars, got you some new clothes. You're still wearing that same ratty T-shirt. I'm like, honey, uh, <laughs> it just feels so good. It's broken in. You know, I've... Oh, this is like now, this has gone from being a a show about, you know, writing and being sort of serious and authorly and everything to, um, I've now, I've figured that out, that it's not cool to be going around in raggedy clothes. So when I find something I like, I buy four or five of them. So, you know, I now have a closet with, you know, five of the same t-shirt of every t-shirt and it looks a little bit you know, I don't know, OCD or <laughs> a little bit strange, but that's how, that's the only way to avoid it. Cause we do, we find things we like and we stick with them. I got to admit first time ever admitted in public. I do the same thing. I don't buy four or five because <laughs> I'm not swinging the big bat like you are. But I do buy two of things. When I find something, I'm like, uh, like I found a Lululemon shirt recently. It was just the perfect weight, the perfect shape. Everything was perfect. And I'm like, oh, geez, I got to have two of those. Oh, why, honey? She says, because uh, you don't want to wear it out too fast. You want to like wear one then wear this one. Then. Anyway. <laughs> wow. I'm glad to have found a, a kindred spirit. That's uh <laughs> Uh, okay, one more last confession. There, There is at least two pairs of shorts and at least three T-shirts that I have worn. I should if you not. 20 years, easily, 20 years. Oh, wow. 20 years. Wow. Yeah. 20. Wow. I'm now trying to think of my oldest piece of clothing, and yeah. I can't. I cannot reach back to that. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'd go pull them out, it's but it, it really would be a diversion. And and your publicist and uh, your workday ahead of you would be <laughs> kicking me right in the. But sack. there's a, I mean, there's a kind of getting into museum territory. Now I have, a, I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell you something. Now I have a friend, a very good friend who I've known for years, and we 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 live on other. So we've stayed in touch, even though we've lived on other sides of the world and everything. He will only cl wear clothes from pre-1950 and i don't mean in style 
he will only wear clothes that were manufactured before 1950. So he spends his time searching. They have these things called, uh, not barn finds, they're like store finds or whatever, where they'll yep. be doing a construction project and they'll rip open, you know, behind a wall and they'll find a whole stock room full of old clothes. And this goes down to the underwear. He will only wear things pre-1950. And, and here's the kicker. He's a vegan. So, so he will, won't wear leather. So this goes to shoes as well. So he will only wear canvas, plimsolls, and that sort of thing from pre-1950. And he's made his life so much harder than it needs to be. Yeah. But at the same time, I admire him because his sense of style is quite striking. Yeah. One since we're on this tangent, one thing about <laughs> living, I love it. If you're if you're good, I'm gonna keep rolling. Are you good with this? Fine, yeah. <laughs> okay. You're so gracious, Adam. You're I'd love your heart, man. Anyway, since we're on this topic, one thing about living in San Diego, and this is interesting. We Tammy and I moved from Midtown Manhattan, Columbus Circle, Upper West Side, Central Parkish, right? <clears throat> Where your entire world, uh, wife, husband, puppy inside of 700 square feet, right? Your entire world. So we moved from that world, hustle, bustle, blah, 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 to San Diego. Very first thing we learned is, hey, uh, Adam, we'll, we'll meet you at the uh, coffee shop at nine o'clock for that meeting, okay? See you then. We'd show up at 10 till nine, like we always do. 9.15, 9.20, 9.25, 9.30. They'd show up. So we'd go like, what happened? Traffic? No, dude. SoCal. <laughs> I, just, I just, you know, I got here when I could get here. <laughs> but we were early. Oh. Uh, it's so counted. <laughs> That's the first thing we learned. The second thing, you know, we'd show up. I'd wear maybe a suit, maybe an open collar. She'd wear a dress. Over. People show up in board shorts, flip flops, t-shirts, and a big old, any kind of cap. Period. End of discussion. And what are we doing now? Four years later, ah, the same thing. Exactly. Because right. baby, you think anything Love other it. than that's going on my Love foot? It. <laughs> Love it. Love it. Yeah, exactly. It's the same. It's the same here. But I'm gonna I'm gonna go on a on a tangent within the tangent. Please. I do. have I have um, part of my new book takes place a uh, very small part of it, but it takes place in San Diego. Um, and the main character goes to Hodad's on Ocean Beach um, for for <laughs> for burgers and uh, has a little sit down on the on the shorefront there and encounters a street Jesus who uh, you know comes uh, hustling for change. Um, I, I've I, I've uh, I've been to San Diego. Uh, it's a yeah. lovely place, lovely part of the world, um, but it is very very interesting it's uh it's not new york <clears throat> no but i'll tell you what it's also not la <clears throat> i know we're only 90 minutes away but it's you know it's way more laid back and yeah. a little less pretentious and yeah. and we're actually to take it one step further we're in encinitas which is about 20 minutes north of downtown property oh yeah okay yeah so it's even more you know yeah uh, yeah. If if you're not stepping out and waxing your board and hitting the surf, then you're just, dude. What are you doing? <laughs> Aren't you surfing today, dude? I hate. Uh, I'm scared of the water. What? 
I love it. All right. Sorry. That was so much fun. Let's do this. We're going to take a short break and we're going to come back and we're going to talk to Adam more about the other side of night. Also, we're going to provide another new feature on the show. You heard us mention earlier that our mutual friend, Eric Bishop, um, uh, it has introduced, introduced me to Adam and we all three have become friends. You guys are closer friends than me. <laughs> and, um, but he is uh, kicking off a brand new feature on the show called Two Minute Book Review. And it just so happens that Eric chose, when I reached out to a bunch of my author friends recently, he chose your book to review. So we're going to take oh. a short break, come back, hear his uh, Eric Bishop's review, and uh, hear from our sponsors to the show. So I'm David Temple. This is Adam Hanby. This is The Thriller Zone. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Your host, David Temple here. Hey, before we get back to the show, I thought I would throw in this one quick note. I have had authors approach me who want to actually advertise on the show. And I'm like, that's cool. I love that idea. I mean, think about it. We feature the best thriller writers in the world. You're one of the new up-and-coming thriller writers in the world to be. And you have a book coming out. Our rates are super reasonable. We're easy to work with, as you know, and we all want to work together to make success for all of us. Just reach out to us here at The Thriller Zone at thethrillerzone at gmail.com. Let's talk rates. Let's talk details. Let's do something together in the new year. I think you'll like it. Now, back to the show. Eric Bishop here with The Thriller Zone 2-Minute Book Review. Today, we are going to feature the book, The Other Side of Night by Adam Hamdy. So a while back, I was told that Adam was writing a book and that was a speculative fiction book. I didn't know what that meant, but Adam's a friend of mine agreed to give me an early copy of the book and I dove in and read the book. I now know what a speculative fiction book is and all I can say is what Adam wrote is spectacular. Um, it is a book about love, loss, the human condition. And I know it's a cliche to say you've got to read the book to really appreciate the book or to not be spoiled by what happens in the book, but it's really a true story in this instance. Um, Adam wrote a book that you need to read. Uh, it'll touch your heart, it'll excite you. It's something that really it must be read to fully appreciate. And I must say, since I can attest to this fact, once you read it, you're going to want to read it again because there are things you're going to miss. And when you go back through the second time, you're going to connect some dots. So this book, The Other Side of Night, comes out on September 27th in the United States. Get a copy, get two copies and give one away. Uh, really, you need to read this book. It's my favorite book this year and maybe for a few years running, this will be my favorite book. It's that good of a book. Um, again, my name's Eric Bishop. My debut author, The Body Man, came out in November of 2021. If you're so interested, it is available on Amazon and all major retailers online. So stay tuned for the next Thriller Zone two minute book review. My name is Adam Hamdy. I'm the author of The Other Side of the Night. I'm hanging out with my good dude, David Temple. On the Thriller Zone. The best thrillers, the Thriller Zone. And now, back to the show.
And welcome back to The Thriller Zone. I'm your host, David Temple. We're with Adam Handby. And how about the review from our good friend, Eric Bishop? Oh, he's uh, Eric's a, a wonderful guy and uh, very generous. Uh, it's lovely. Uh, yeah, he's been a fan of the book. In fact, I think he was one of the first people to read it. And uh, he absolutely loved it. Um, and yeah, he's a lovely guy. He is. And his book, The Body Man, just as a little extra plug. Yeah. Wow. How about that yeah, for a no. debut? Yeah, no, I, I've uh, I've been a you know a fan of the Body Man and a sort of champion of that for you know for a long time, and so yeah, he's a he's a very promising young writer. <laughs> no, he is. He's very good, and I've read the follow up. Actually, he's done a great job. It kind of takes the Body Man up to the next level. Uh, Breach of trust. Oh, um, you uh, have a copy, and I don't. Tammy, uh, yeah. take him off the Christmas card list. <laughs> <laughs> I was I was one of his beta readers or a theta reader. I don't know. Um, he's he's taking it up a notch, so I'm yeah. excited uh, about that one as well. Well, I look forward to the day down the road when I can throw you one of my books and you look at it and you'll go. I look hmm. forward to it too. Yeah, David, don't uh, don't give up that podcast. <laughs> no, I hope if it's anything as entertaining as these shows, I, I, you're going to have a bright future too. Oh, God bless you. Speaking of entertainment and speaking of a great book, all right, I'm going to do this for you. Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to boil the sh this, my review down into about five words and here, and I do that for a couple of different reasons. I tend to not, I get a lot of uh, invites, uh, Adam, as you might expect um, to do reviews of books. And I have chosen specifically not to do that because if I am talking to you about your book and then I review it, it just feels, I can't think of a good word. Could you help me? It's awkward. Yeah. Good word. We're going to go with that. Yeah. Awkward. So anyway, but here's what I say about this one. Surprising departure, which we've kind of touched on. Uh, you know, it's not uh, like some of your other books, but that is, that is uh, not a bad thing. It's a great thing. Number two, mixed bag of elements. And then simply, if I put it in one word, it's brilliant. Uh -huh. Now, I'm going to take a tiny detour. Now, I will say in the spirit of transparency, because I, I kind of shoot things straight. I uh, try not to fluff up too much and blow your skirt up. But because I was expecting some of your other work, and I don't think I knew that it was going to be this much of a departure, it was at the beginning a, little, a, wee, a wee challenge to follow because of expectations until I got into the rhythm. And once I clicked into the rhythm, which happens very organically and very easily, once I clicked in, I'm like, okay, now I know what's going on. And then about halfway, uh, there came a pre-surprise, which that in and of itself almost could have been enough. But then it wasn't until the real, wait, the real surprise, bunny quotes, that I went, I caught myself with my jaw open going. And I'm not even, this isn't theatrics. I really, I literally, you blew my mind because of the way that it took off and it, 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 it expanded my mind. So much so, hold on, go ahead and, just bask in all that accolades, won't you? Uh, <laughs> you know, as I said, it's always the journey for me. It's not the destination. So I'm not one to bask too much. 
Uh, down on acknowledgments, my friend here, Adam, says, if you're interested in exploring the subject further, I recommend Your Brain is a Time Machine, The Neuroscience and Physics of Time by Dean Buonomano. I bought the book instantly, started reading it. Uh, it arrived yesterday. I'm a third of the way in. Oh, my God, I love that book. Yeah, it's crazy, isn't it? And folks, it's nonfiction, so there's no competition to my pal here. But you can literally, I, I envision your brain just going. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. if you were to read that book, it gives you greater insight. I'm going to stop yeah. babbling and just say, dude, it. Dude, may I call you or sir, dude? Yeah, you can call me, dude. Yeah, you're from okay. San Diego. That's cool. Everyone says, dude, there. <laughs> dude, I got to tell you something. This exactly. thing is so, so damn gnarly. It's uh, mind blowing, okay? <laughs> yeah. No, well, thank you. That's that's uh, very lovely to hear. Yeah. No, I mean, it is. It's a slower burn than my usual stuff. And, you know, it does take a little while to get into it. Um, and, but it is supposed to be an experience. You know, it was, I designed it to be like a a book ride. You know, you're supposed to experience it and you're supposed to feel everything that the characters are feeling and more. And it is supposed to be a reflection. And I think people will get out of the book, whatever it is that they're looking for. If you're not into being provoked into thinking about big questions, um, if that's not where you are in your life at the moment, then, you know, you'll just read it as a mystery and, and that'll be that. But I think if you're receptive and open to it, um, I've had emails from people all over the world saying, not dude, but, um, you know, your book has, uh, has changed me. It's made me, you know, rethink my perception of things. It's like just, it's touched people's in, in people in ways that um, I'd hoped for, but I couldn't have dreamed for. I mean, it was just, yeah, it's been amazing to get some of the messages I've had. So, you know, I hope it carries on um, touching people. But, you know, Dean's book is is amazing as well. There's stuff in it that just, you know, it literally real stuff that blows your mind. It's kind of like, you know, on computers, you uh, there's a delay on computers because we don't register time. So when you're typing, there's an inbuilt delay of microseconds because if it didn't occur, you would see the letters before you type them or before you perceived typing them. So there are people who run experiments with computers where they cut that delay and it looks as though the computer is predicting what you're typing because there's a few microseconds. There's like a couple, 200 microseconds or something. I can't remember the exact number delay of your brain perceiving things, seeing things. And some people can perceive things faster than other people. Um, and if they don't have that delay built into computers, you will see the things before you've typed them. And it freaks people out. Like you'll type it, but you'll perceive it before you've typed it. You'll, you'll think you haven't typed it, but you have typed it. And it, it's seen before you've you, you've typed it. It's 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 crazy. It's crazy. It's a really good book. <laughs> so I hope to have captured some of that craziness in my novel and given people something that just has them um, reviewing their understanding of the world. Well, one of the very first moments that one of these special occurrences take place, I I stopped and I went, I right, did. 
Did he just write that? Did I did I read that right? And I would back up a little bit, and I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, that's what you read. You you you're you know you got a more than eighth grade education. You got that. <laughs> and not that there's anything wrong with eighth grade education. Yeah. People, you know, but I was um, I am first of all I'm I'm massively uh, interested in all of this. My wife was we were having another conversation this weekend, and she said, and I made this comment. It was after reading your book. She goes, why did you like it so much? I said, well, it's as though Adam had a key, a special key, and he went to a, a room that I wasn't sure I had, and he unlocked it, and he opened the door. That's Aww. the best way I could describe it. Yeah. I, I might have known. I may have known the room was there, but I had never opened the door. And when you opened the door, it made me go, oh, there's a whole other room in here that I haven't really fully examined. So I instantly bought that book, started reading instantly. And now what I find was when I'm not editing a show or reading a book for the next show, I'm reading stuff like that because it, you know, I just, I can't say enough, although I'm certainly trying as is evidenced by all this babbling to say what a remarkable trip that was. Oh, thank you. That's really nice to hear. And it's exactly what I was hoping for. I just, I wanted people to, you know, I wanted it to kind of touch people emotionally. And I think there's a lot of uh, human elements in it. Um, but I also wanted to try and get people to examine the world in which we live and question how we think about things. Um, yeah. So, no, I'm very pleased. Pleased it's had that effect. Can I get on the couch? The, the, therapy couch for a second because i it. all right go for it. let's take a tangent let's get this detour from ho dads and uh you know <laughs> um vintage clothing let's get onto the therapy couch doctor could you help yeah. me so last <laughs> night i had a dream literally i had a dream yeah yeah and i think probably because i spent a little bit too much time doing thinking about these things i dreamt that i was about 20 Oh, yeah, almost 20 years older than I am. I had gone into this room and I looked in the mirror and I saw myself as an 80 year old. And I, and I had this moment of like, where's all the time gone? Where, how did that go so quickly? I mean, you hear that all the time. Yeah. And I suddenly was filled with fear that I hadn't done all the things I wanted to do yet. So when I woke up, I thought again of this book and I said, Anything that wastes a minute of my time, I'm going to ditch. Wow. So that's really interesting because I, I, I don't envy you that challenge because how can you, how can you never have a wasted minute? We're all, you're always going to have a wasted minute. You're always going to have time that's wasted. But I guess well, the thing is, are you enjoying the things? That's I guess that's probably more the question. Is like, are there things that you you want to do, or are they things that you're obliged to do? Are they things that you're engaged with and feel are contributing to your life, or are they things that you're not enjoying and you're they're, they're just they're just there. Therein lies the equation. That's what I want to get down to because <clears throat> we were having this conversation over the weekend about social media. And how much time we spend, you know, doing, doing this thing. Yep. And, and I made this comment and I'm the, you know, worst offender of it. And I said, you know what? I, I'm tired of this. I'm tired of all the time. I literally, 
I'm getting up at five o'clock every morning. Sometimes I, I catch myself. I might be 20, 25 minutes in and I'm still doing this. Yeah. Getting yeah. Caught, and I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. This is my creative time. And um, yeah. sorry, apologies for constant for belaboring this point, but I think it's kind of essential because what my point is to you is I know there will be wasted moments. My point is I want to be strategic and specific in that time, which I don't allow myself to wonder. Yeah. Uh, having now lost my mother recently. So both parents are now gone. Oh, Some other uh, family. Thank you. But that shook me and uh, we were best friends. So it shook me mm. in a huge way. And, uh, you know, waste time. Man. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry for your loss. And you're, you're absolutely right. Those moments. Time is the one currency you can't make more of. You know, around yeah. the world, you can make money, you can make things. Um, we can't make ourselves as individuals, but governments, countries can rely on a constant and steady supply of people. But yeah. as individuals, we'll never, we never get time back. It never gets back. And it's interesting how easily we trade it for nothing. You'll waste time on social media. You'll do favors for people who won't, you know, return them or don't really care for you. You'll put yourselves out. We we throw time away. We squander it. And as you approach the end of your life, you realize how little of it you actually have. And um, and so I think you're absolutely right. And I think you, you're really right to pinpoint kind of social media because it's so easy. You can find 20 minutes, half an hour, an hour going by. And what have you done? You've actually just, you're, you're like a, a voyeur browsing into other people's lives. And actually you're not even seeing their real life. You're seeing the projection of their life that they want you to see. Or worse still, you're seeing the anger and frustration that people want to stoke in society for their own agenda, whatever that may be. And you're getting caught up in that. So it's kind of like, well, but the, 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 the strange thing is if you're not part of it, you feel like you're missing out. You feel like, Oh, there's a whole thing going on that I'm not part of. And actually we're all missing out on the world around us. And something that's happened to me, you know, like I said, going to the beach, I don't take my computer with me. Um, I have my phone with me, but I actually bizarrely ignore it when I'm there. And I sit when I don't have my music on and I'm not writing, I'll sit and listen to the ocean and the waves coming in. And in the garden here on my favorite chair, I'll listen to the, 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 the you can probably, I don't know if you can hear, there's a few little bits of wildlife bats. Um, but during the day, the garden is alive with the sound of birds. And I'll just sit and listen to the birds. They fly into the house, um, up into the rafters, and they're chirping and singing the whole time. And actually just taking a little bit of a moment to enjoy those things rather than, you know, scrolling on social media. I've found it as much more nourishing for the soul if uh, one thinks about things in those terms. Yeah. You know, when I was talking to agents back in the day, when I was considering going after one <clears throat> for representation, they made a comment about, uh, well, you know, Dave, you can't really, um, you can't really do that unless you've got a platform. So I jumped on board that mindset and yeah. that fake smoking is, it saved my life though. Um, <laughs> don't fake smoke kids. <laughs> no. <laughs> Put that down. Anyway, so I jumped on it with a with a 
passion. And I thought, okay, well, this is part of part of the deal. If you talk about your podcast, talk about your book, talk that, talk, 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 talk. And then what you do is you get, you spend, and I'm going to get off of this in a second. You spend an inordinate amount of time getting caught into the vortex that only picks up speed and only takes you deeper until one day you go, what have I gained in exchange for giving that time away? Yeah. 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 It's a very, very interesting way of looking at the world. I mean, I was, we, uh, I was talking to my wife, her name's Amy. You've got Tammy. I mean, you know, they're very wise. Um, yes. and, uh, and we were just saying, you know, in the old days, an author would, you think about Ian Fleming or Hemingway or any of these people, they lived on tropical islands um, but they didn't do social media. They weren't on Twitter. They weren't constantly checking and, you know, being, uh, you know, asked to tweet about things and this, that, you know, this, that, and the other. And they would do maybe a bit of publicity, the equivalent of doing podcasts and stuff. And But they largely, they would hand their book over. It would be published. And if readers and retailers, librarians liked it, it would be successful. And that was the end of the story. Um, but I think that now there's so much content and authors are competing not just with all the new books that are coming out, and there are lots. You're also competing with a library of, say, 5 million published books um, that you can access at any time from anywhere in the world. Um, and so you have to work harder to get a degree of success. You know, you have to work um, harder on promotion and make more noise and get people's attention and say, hey, look, at, look here, and this is a book that's worth reading um, and yeah, I, I don't know how we fix it in a way that <clears throat> restores people's humanity. Cause that's being lost a little bit, you know, who you are as a person, you're being pulled in so many different ways. Um, and the, the, you know, the machine, the industry doesn't really care what it does to you. It's kind of agnostic. It doesn't really care what happens to you as a person, whether you can cope with it. Um, there's no one watching out for you and saying, well, actually, this is too much pressure. This is too much time that we're taking away from this person. It will take as much as you're prepared to give. So, God, there's so much to unbox there. Um, <laughs> and it's and, and I don't mean that in a casual way, but it, it is true. And I think, you know, it's when you stop and think about built what what the machine is built on algorithms to pull you in more and science is showing right now the dopamine hit that you that you receive when you see the check or the like or the fill in the yep. blank and i'm not yep. saying anything new here folks by the way so yep. I'm not all that smart but we're getting addicted to that fixation and when you take the fixation away and going back to my other question are you willing to sacrifice this very few years on earth to do this and i'm not taking away from using social media to help the word because i mean look another distraction podcasts now podcasts have, are up around five million now so between your five million books i'm going to use that number randomly and five yeah. million podcast and five million new streaming shows you know it's no wonder we're all friggin add and uh ah, not get me more get me you know it's just insane yeah yeah and also what it's leading to as well is a fragmentation of society because there are whole i don't even know that you can call them subcultures there are whole huge cultures that grow up and they might have you know 
following of 100, 200 million people around the world, you'll never have heard of them. You know, you, you just, we're allowed to live now in silos and we can kind of pick our own advent, adventure. You can choose your own adventure um, through the world. And that's great in a way, but it's sad in that we're losing some of the common links that um, connect us. And it's also made life much more difficult as a creative or a publisher of any kind of content, because how do you cut across? And it seems now in order to cut across, I mean, there are very few readers of books just in general, because, uh, you know, readers are kind of, have declined in number and there's so much competing content and forms of entertainment. Um, so probably movies are the best uh, comparison. And if you want to cut through the noise and cut across everything, you have to spend hundreds of millions, if not billions <laughs> now, um, advertising and producing the most amazing grand tent poles. Um, and that's, that's a real challenge. There's only ever going to be <clears throat> a, a handful of those a year. And um, it just means that the opportunities for sort of common stories, common, um, you know, kind of shared understandings of the world in which we live are much, much less frequent than they used to be. Yeah. And have you noticed that with this proliferation of the thinking, oh, content is king, give us more content. Have you noticed that the content albeit some of it is fantastic, there's a lot of watered down because they're putting it out so quickly and the stories just don't hold. And yeah. uh, I, I know that's yeah. another tangent, but... Yeah. Well, I mean, something that I've noticed a lot of, and particularly in publishing, is that if there's something that's a success, then the following year and the year afterwards, you will see uh, facsimiles of whatever that success was. So there's one book in particular that's really standing out in my mind. I'm not going to name it, which was a huge success a couple of years ago. And now coming out are the approximations of that book. And it's sort of like, well, okay, I understand that there's money to be made there because if that book had say a million readers and you can get 10% of that million to come to your, you know, facsimile book, that's a hundred thousand readers. That's a good business. But you're, you're again, I'm going to say this is actually prompted by what you've said. Time is precious and it's finite. There are only so many books you're going to read in your life. There are only so many movies, TV shows on podcasts, whatever that you're going to read in your life. And part of the job of publishers, studios, and television networks used to be to curate content for us. Yeah. So we didn't have to make those decisions. It was to say, okay, we believe in this. We think it's a piece of real quality and we're kind of acting as a filter for you. So you don't have to waste your time. That doesn't exist so much anymore. So people are spending more time consuming. And it's frustrating when you get kind of a quarter or halfway through the book and say, oh, this is just like the book I read, you know, a month ago. I know the book you're talking about. Uh, does it start with a G by any chance? <laughs> There's a lot of books that start with G's. I'm just saying. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, perhaps. The reason I say that, um, and I'm just going to call it, I'm not going to call it anything because you didn't. 
Um, uh, because I read so many books for the show, I am starting to see exactly what you said. I'm like, oh, well, which is why I have to, which is why I'm constantly making notes so that I'm like, okay, this book is that book, not that yeah. book that was this book. Yeah. Because there is a lot of that. And look, I don't, and I'll get off this tangent too quickly. I don't uh, badmouth the people who are just trying to make a living. I mean, if yep. that is, if, yep. if Levi 501s are successful and I can make a knockoff, that's not a great example, but then, then I'm going to do it because it's, yeah. you know, because it makes money and it's cool and everybody wants it. Yeah. However, when you get into intellectual property where it's, you know, storytelling and, and, and mental stimulation, um, it's, it's hard not to go, oh, I just read that story. Just, yeah. Matter of fact, the, the book cover even looks the same. Uh, oh, yeah. the blurb kind of feels the same. And hey, whose fault is that really when you think about it? Because if I'm an up and coming author and I go, but Adam had this magnificent book that was about the other side of night and, and it looked this way and it felt that way. And the blurb kind of described that way. And you, and, and he sold 27 million copies in the first. Oh, I wish. <laughs> <laughs> then, then is it, is it horrible of me to think, well, what if I tried something like that now? Yeah. And look, let's go back to Aristotle. We've got the time. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, nothing's original, right? Nothing. It, it, we're all just borrowing bits and pieces of the people yep. who came before us. And that's this exactly. is part of the deal. Yeah. But I want, I want to end on this cohesive thought. Okay. Before we get into my last two closing points. <laughs> <laughs> who knows how long that'll take? <laughs> it's about time. And mm. I've, I, I, we just, as you may know, we've just celebrated our one year anniversary. And actually I'm coming up on within just days, I'm coming on my 100th episode. Wow. Congratulations. Yeah. You were number five, dude. Wow. Congratulations. That's amazing. You've done a lot then in a short space of time. Yeah. Kind of how I'm wired. The, 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 the upside is I have had the time of my life. Adam, oh. I mean this with as much sincerity as I can possibly say. There's very few things that make me happier than this right here. Oh, that's lovely. That's the upside. The downside, and, and this is a very poignant point, I hope. When you're reading two and three books a week and trying to get them all in and make your notes and prepare for interviews like this, you realize, uh, it's not brain surgery here, you realize you're putting in a lot of time for the work. and. You started off a question right out of the gate. Hey, David, how's your writing? Which that's so kind of you to say. And I go, well, I had to put it on the back burner because uh, I'm reading too many books. And therein lies part of my equation is back to our time thing. I'm going to back off of this a little bit because as much as I love this, it takes so much time away from other things that I really love. So Again, not to make it about me. I want to make it about the uh, the realization that we have so little time in the big expanse of time. You know? Yeah, we do. We do. And I, I think it's it's important to to 
to be conscious of that. We're never conscious of that. No one ever says to you at school, well, kids, you know, you're going to have whatever it is in America. I think life expectancy is like 76, the average life expectancy. In the UK, it's higher. Japan, 84, 85, something like that. But you're going to have a finite amount of time and people are going to try and take as much as they can get from you for free. Friends, family members, employers, you know, some people you, you want to give them as much time as you can. Other people are going to try and take. And we never think about it as a very, very, very short supplied commodity until you have a moment of realization or you, you know, come to the, towards the end of your life or something happens to you, a uh, medical emergency or something that makes you think about your mortality. Um, but I think it's very important that we perceive time as this finite um, and very valuable commodity, this gift um and and and, it, and once you do that it helps you prioritize what do i want to achieve and in fact i was asking somebody today what what do you want to achieve with the years that you've got left you know and so for you when we first spoke your writing was uh really important to you and it sort of stuck with me and that's why i asked the question and i completely understand if you want to dial it back and uh, <laughs> you know get back to it well it's funny that when you and i spoke in july of last year <clears throat> That was, that was, you know, my wife said, if you could do anything for a year, would it be? I'm like, right. I just, that's all I want to do. And then I resurrected my radio career and brought it around to uh, podcasting. So I figure I could kill two birds with one stone, but I'm working mm. on a nonfiction book right now. Oh, right. Yeah. And I think, and it has to, I won't, I won't drill into it because this is about you, but it has to do with time and the time that has passed in the short time that we have in front of us and having, again, losing parents and so forth it makes you and i just had to say goodbye to my pup from 13 years uh two weeks ago which oh that's very difficult yeah no that's really hard fried my brain um yeah i'm sorry to hear that thank you but the th it, it really just goes and then of course what did we watch over the weekend interstellar <laughs> <laughs> Oh my goodness, you're going for all of the high punches of emotion, aren't you? <laughs> wow. Yeah. Wow. So you, you yeah, you've got you've got mortality and time on your brain. Yeah. I do. I do. And yeah. uh in all sincerity, thank you for spending all this time just God, I love this. This is uh such a gift you've given me. So all right, I'm going to close with my standing question. Then we're going to hit rapid fire questions, and then okay. we're going to be out. Because what time is it? Your time? Uh, it is quarter past ten. Oh, okay. Time for bed, right? <clears throat> no, I'm going to finish editing a book. Uh, okay. I, I I have to get this out by tomorrow, so oh. I haven't got much left. So I'm going to I'm going to work. <laughs> yeah. So David, I'm a hustler. Shut up. <laughs> Stop going down your tangents. All right. No, I like the tangents. All right. Classic question, standing question, aspiring writers, even longtime authors. Number one, what's your best piece of writing advice? Uh, my best piece of writing advice, uh, I have two actually. One is live an interesting life. Talk to people. Don't be afraid. Go up to them. Ask them about their lives. Go and experience things. It doesn't have to be dangerous things. Go and book yourself on a pottery class or a poetry course or, you know, something. Step outside of your normal world because you know your world, but you don't know the world that you don't know. So go and experience the world you don't know and find out something because, you know, it may not be that you're writing a book set in the world of poetry, but 
you may learn something from the people that were there. When I went, I actually went on a poetry course as part of the prep for The Other Side of Night. And on the poetry course was an 82-year-old spy, female spy. And she had some of the most incredible stories from the Cold War. And I would never have met her in normal life. And she was there doing poetry. And we talked and talked and talked about Cold War. So, uh, she was in uh, the, uh, well, um, Czechoslovakia, as it then was, and um, working for the German government as an ambassador. And like, ah, oh, just fascinating. But um, so, yeah, go and step outside your life. And the other thing I would say is, and I know you kind of, you're supposed to say, do whatever feels right. In my experience, having been a pantser and a plotter, <laughs> plotting saves a lot of pain plan your work and if you don't plan it in detail at least sketch it out you know if you look at and i'm not saying the stuff that i write is masterpieces but if you look at all the old masters and all the great painters they always sketch always sketch and they often spend years sketching things and doing preparatory works and um you know edward hopper always did preparatory watercolors and sketches and things think about it in those terms You'll save yourself a lot of grief and aggravation if you do some planning up front. <laughs> so well said. So well said. All right. That means random fire questions. On today's show, Adam Handy, our return contestant. No. <laughs> <laughs> what do I win? Yeah. $200 million. All right. <laughs> All right, mm. you are stuck on an exotic island with palm trees and be wait a minute, you already that's where okay. You yeah. All right, I have to change that. Okay. <laughs> okay, you get to travel to say our great smoky mountains, which is where I grew up, uh, or the vast ranges of Montana where Conover's all of them's living. And you're yep. gonna disappear for two weeks. Just take off. Boom. You and the kids, whatever. Wife and kids, Amy and the kids. You have all the tools you need. Here's the thing. What are the three items you're going to be sure to take with you as well? And what will you spend most of your time doing? So we're going into the mountains. I'm going to take um, the climbing gear bag. So I'm going to take the climbing gear bag with all the ropes and the cams and hexes and harnesses and everything. And we're going to do some climbing. Okay. Keep answering because I, uh, I I'm going to take off on a tangent on that. Are those okay. the three things: cams, ropes, and bag? Uh, I, I will take um, also just take my pad and pen um, okay. because I don't ever go anywhere without them, and I'll do some writing or plotting or some you know some sketching. Yeah, um, yeah. So those are the three things. What is the name of the movie where the guy free climbed the famous free solo? Free solo. Yeah. Dude, Alex Honnold. Alex Honnold. So, I mean, you know, we're nowhere near that standard. But if you climb, you know the difficulty of what he was trying and the danger and the insanity. I mean, honestly, watching that film, when he started doing the, you know, when it was, I can't remember what the, the actual, um, particular pitch is called but there's the bit where he has to do that really difficult move yes the grades and the i was just sweating my palms were sweating just i was just 
because that is such hard with a rope with everything it's hard climbing that's really hard climbing the idea of doing that that altitude with nothing i will yeah. never understand that uh but they said that he was missing uh, a yes. mechanism yeah. or a chemical or a gene yep. or something that yeah yeah, yeah. So I think he, he feels fear, but he feels it only when he's amped up. You know, we yeah. would feel it at four. He has to be amped up to nine or ten, and then he then he feels it. Yeah. Wow. All right. Number two, if you could go back in time and sit down with 10-year-old Adam, Ooh. handsome fellow that he was. Yeah. Knowing what you know now, what would you tell him? Um <clears throat> What would I tell him, knowing that I know, knowing that, knowing what I know now? I'd say come to Mauritius sooner. <laughs> Definitely something I would say. Um, you know, I'll be honest. I don't have huge regrets in life. Um, and I'm a great believer in inevitability. I think life gets difficult when you try and resist what you're naturally pointed towards or you don't listen and you kind of ignore the things that you should be paying attention to. Um, so I don't have any big regrets and there's nothing really that I would rather be doing than what I'm doing now. So whatever route I got here to, you know, however I got here, I'm quite happy with. Um, yeah, I'd say move to Mauritius sooner and, um, buy four of these t-shirts <laughs> great this is my probably a grave regret because when this goes it doesn't exist anywhere i've looked for it so yeah <laughs> i'm gonna have to move on <laughs> third and final you and i are hosting a podcast here in san diego you're my guest we're staying at the finest place in town at our own podcast convention we'll say cool you and I are also key speakers, but here's what the thing is. I've asked that you invite two people you'd like to interview on our show along with me to chat about anything in the world that you want. They can be living or past. Who would they be and why did you choose them? Wow. So I'm going to go with uh, a gentleman called Rudy Verber, who wrote a book called I Escape from Auschwitz. And it's an incredible book. It reads like a thriller. But it tells the story of his journey into Auschwitz and his escape from it. And it's one of the most illuminating, um, insightful books I've ever read. And I'd love to talk to him about, you know, his experiences, what he then went on to do in life because he, came this, he became this brilliant um, neurochemist because... I don't want to put any spoilers in. There was something that he used to escape that had specific chemical properties and that fascinated him in chemistry. And he was fascinated in the, by the brain because he couldn't understand how people could perpetrate such horror. And he put those two things together and became a neurochemist. So I'd love to talk to him about that. And then the other person I'd have on, and it's somebody you should consider for your show if you haven't already had him on, is um, Anthony Horowitz, uh, <clears throat> the author of the um, Alex Ryder, James Bond, um, Hawthorne and Horowitz uh, series. 
just because he's so entertaining. He's oh, absolutely, yeah, he's absolutely fascinating speaker and, you know, funny, energetic, very, very entertaining. I'd strongly recommend him as a, as a guest. Wow. Do you have a uh, degree of separation that you could help tee that up or do you want me to just go hunt him down? Oh, I mean, I know him. Yeah, I can email him. Okay. Yeah. Let's tee that up because that would be fascinating. And what would take it a step better? We can make it happen. Three-way podcast, the three of us. Oh, I like the sound of that. Hey, look, it's right there off of my script for crying out loud. (laughs) 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 Folks, the book is The Other Side of Night. If you don't read any other book the remainder of the year, read this one. Oh, that's very kind of you, David. I'm telling you, it will, it will, I, yeah, yeah, it'll change the way you see life. It will, in some form or fashion, it will, it will do something to trigger something in your brain that'll make you reevaluate an element of your life. That's all I'm going to say. Wow. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I hope so. Uh, It will. Great. Yeah. To learn more, visit Adam Handy dot com and social and so forth and follow follow him on instagram there's plenty of entertainment but don't spend too much time not too much time (laughs) i'm gonna try and cut back the amount of sunshine that i show on there no please don't it's (laughs) it's it's delicious it's like um you know after my dog passed i you know i oh occupational hazard i started looking at puppies i mean i'm not going to get a puppy oh. right away but boy once you it's like a, this thing about social once you start looking yeah. and scrolling all of a sudden yeah. puppies come out of nowhere and it's yeah. it's a world of puppies yeah yeah well you know not quite as uh heartwarming and touching as that i found myself looking at whether we could buy cheetahs um just hypothetically and you can you you yeah, can? actually, in fact, yeah, you can buy cheetahs from a place in Texas. Now, okay, excuse what will seem like blatant ignorance, and I don't have to stretch very far for that. Um, <laughs> uh, are they endangered in any way, and aren't they just naturally borderline dangerous? Yeah, uh, I don't mm. know about the endangered bit, but certainly the dangerous bit. Yes, they're um, the reason we were we were looking at it just it was just to satisfy our curiosity is there's a safari park here where you can go and you can go and hug a cheetah so i haven't done it yet my family's done it my daughter and and my wife have gone and stroked a cheetah and cuddled it and everything full-grown adult um and i've got the photos and and i was i just thought oh i wonder if you can keep them as pets and you can you can buy them there's a place in texas that sells them so i wouldn't advise it though they require something like five kilos of meat a day and uh and they are dangerous so yeah uh again more social i have seen a guy hanging out with a cheetah and hugging and snuggling and in his bed and just hanging i mean and i'm like what what if one day the instinct kicks and he goes "Mm, i'm hungry i'll take that arm please you know (laughs) tasty you see this is the thing social media and now i know that you can buy a cheetah in texas and feed it and uh, you know Would my life be any different if I didn't have these facts? (laughs) Facts. (laughs) 
Oh my gosh. I really, as you can see, I don't want the time to end, but I do have to be respectful of your time. You've got a book to edit. Yep. Um, and and also you, you've got, we've got to be respectful of your time. You've got a book to write. I do. And thank you so much for your constant encouragement. And I, I may just send you sneak preview uh, when we get there. I'd love to read it. I'd love to read it. All right. In case I didn't get this point across, this might be the book you want to read this year. I'm just saying, uh, you know, I haven't reviewed it, although I have said a few things about it. Yeah. David Brown must love me about now. And um, Uh. of (laughs) course, although although David needs to send me a hardcover and not a wrinkled, beat up version. I'll make sure he does. (laughs) <laughs> I'm very excited to hear about how this book goes, how the next one goes. I, yeah. I would, I would, God, I would love to grab Tammy and come down to, how do you say it? Mauritius, Mauritius, Mauritius. Yeah. Mauritius. It's you like should. delicious. That's what I need it to is. remember. It is. It's like delicious. It's Mauritius is delicious. Yeah. Mauritius is delicious. Yeah. Oh, that is fantastic. Yeah. If you want to say it in the French, it's Maurice. Maurice. Like Maurice day and the time. Adam, you are delightful. Your 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 energy, your heart is just something to behold, and I'm so oh. grateful. No, thank you very much, David, and thank you for having me on the show. I'm so pleased for you that you've had so much success, and it's uh, gone from strength to strength. So um, I look forward to the next time. When's that book coming up? I'll let you know as soon as I know. Okay, perfect. <laughs> <laughs> Did I tell you you were going to love that podcast? Did you? Did you enjoy it as much as I hope you did, as I think you were going to? Adam Hamdi, the book is Other Side of Night. Talking about insights, right? Check. Nice guy, right? Check. Helpful, down-to-earth, gracious, check, check, check. (laughs) A book that you want to read? Oh, big, fat, hairy, check. Check it out is what I'm trying to say. Thanks, Adam. That was a real treat. Now, how about next week? Yeah, as we uh, get ready to wrap up the month, already September, the summer flew by. This gentleman also has kind of taken a little veer off the standard path. J. Todd Scott has a book called The Flock. And let me tell you something. Look at the size of that beast. It is completely different than his other work. And uh, that is something you will probably really enjoy. I want you to check it out, The Flock. That's coming up on the 29th, last Thursday of the month. Until then, I want to say thank you to all my sponsors, authorbytes.com, warwicks.com for providing us with great services and uh, support. Also, thank you to you. Thank you to you, you, you. I so appreciate you being there. I thank you for writing the very kind letters that you send in to our email. Have I shared that with you lately? TheThrillerZone at gmail.com. Would you like to get on my newsletter? Finally, I'm getting around to this. Can you believe I've been at this a year and I still haven't, you know, okay. But you get to it when you get to it, right? Drop me an email, please. I I won't bombard you with a whole bunch of BS. Just let me know where you're listening and how you like the show. I'm not going to ask you for reviews. I'm not going to ask you to do this, that, and jump through hoops. Just drop me an email or go by the website, the thriller zone right here.com. And, um, let us know where you listen and how much you enjoy listening. All right. It helps. Trust me. All right. I have got some reading to do, so I'm going to skedaddle out of here. I'll see you next time for another exciting edition 
of the Thriller Zone. The Thriller Zone has been presented by The Story Factory and the visionary genre-bending debut novel Grand Theft AI by James Cox. The Matrix meets Blade Runner. Grand Theft AI is available now for pre-order from your favorite bookseller.